Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Dr. Andy Wilzeg. This week, I'm talking with Dr. Carrie Yazid about her career as an entrepreneur and social worker over the last 20 years. This is episode 35 of Untenure Tracks. Right now, I'm actually working on a membership program. I, I really have it, but I'm working on expanding it. Um, so when I'm not doing higher ed stuff, I work with uh, female entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and helping them to build and grow their businesses. Mm-hmm. So that is what I am working on now. We're getting ready to launch tomorrow. So Thursday, we'll be doing a launch. So right now we have about 25 members. And so the goal is to increase, um, to at least double it this go Mm -hmm. round. My goal by the end of the year is to have at least 100 members Mm -hmm. um, in the membership program that I'm working with. So I'm really excited about that. Very cool. Is that nothing to do with academics? Um, how did you how did you get involved in that? Like, how did so nothing to do with academia? So how did this how did this happen for you? Actually, so my story is kind of mm, not your traditional professor. So mm-hmm. I started out as a social worker for twenty three years, and in doing that, social workers don't get paid anything. In case mm-hmm. no one knows, um, they don't make a whole lot of money. So you have to have um, a side hustle. Uh-huh. And I've had several that I actually turned into like businesses. So I was a photographer for seven years. I had a bookstore for a couple of years, and um, a publishing company, which I still have now. Oh, wow. And and also had a private practice. And so. I took a break from higher ed back in mm-hmm. 2016. I was an assistant assistant professor. Mm-hmm. And when I left, it was just like, so how do you reinvent yourself? Like, what, what's next? What are you going to mm-hmm. do next? And um, just kind of seeing what was out there on the Internet and the misinformation that people were getting. And I was like, well, you know what? I, I know business like that's I've done this my whole adult life. And I see where people are giving the wrong information and I see the mistakes that people are making. And so I just started helping women. And so it kind of grew from that me using my own experience as an entrepreneur and helping other women to not make the mistakes that I made that cost me a lot of money and um, helping them to build their confidence along the way. So that's really kind of how I started. So what kind of misinformation are you talking about? People Um, people saying that you can make, um, you know, six figures in a month and you're just starting out Mm -hmm. like, no, that's (laughs) that's that's not going to happen unless you have really like laid the foundation. But for someone who's never done anything. So, like, you know, they haven't released a project. They they haven't even been on social media. Mm -hmm. They're making six figures is is not going to happen. Like. In, in a month. It might happen a couple of years from now. <laughs> and so people just kind of selling what I, I call like a pipe dream. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I saw a lot of that 
especially back like in 2016, because that was kind of like when people really started doing lives on Periscope and, you know, and started venturing into Facebook. And it's just, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's kind of some of the stuff I was here. Like some of the multi-level marketing kind of scams, right? Well, yes and no. So most of these people actually had done multi-level marketing, but now they were applying it to their own quote-unquote business Mm -hmm. Um, using the same approach. um, But then you realize that in the end, they weren't giving you anything and you Mm -hmm. had gave them all of this money. So they were making six figures in a month based off of what they were telling you and people were investing in what they thought was like someone that was going to help them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So what's it been like, like, trying to, I guess, experiment with these different careers and projects after leaving academia. Like, I mean, um. can... <laughs> Very obvious uh, question. Uh, yeah, I've had, a, I've had a ball. Because um, I still use like some of my skills as a professor. Mm-hmm. Um, so still teaching. I do online classes with the women that I work with. Uh, but it's been for me, it's just been fun, like reinventing myself and seeing different skills that I have developed over the years that I didn't know that I, I actually had. So I've, I've been having fun. I, I, I enjoy it. Have you had like I mean, I imagine you have had some like eureka moments after after leaving where because I mean, for a lot of people in academia, we're kind of taught that this is the only thing that we could do. You know what I mean? And then yeah. like realizing that uh no, like I can I'm way more of a complete person than just this like teaching or scholarship machine. Oh, I will say I've had several of those moments. Um and not just from coming from higher ed, but also in the field of social work. Mm-hmm. Um because we we are also told coming out, like even in grad school, you are conditioned to believe this is all that you will ever do. Mm-hmm. And you're never going to make a whole lot of money. Like, so you're taking this vow of poverty mm-hmm. <laughs> and you don't realize what you're doing. Yeah. And so when I started doing this and basically made my salary working six months mm-hmm. on my own, I was just like, wait a minute. Like I had drunk the Kool-Aid. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't leave my house. Like I'm sitting here in yoga pants doing stuff <laughs> online. Like, like I don't have to go into somebody's home with the um, manila folder where I should have a bulletproof vest. So <laughs> I, I can get used to this. I, I actually, that was like a eureka moment for uh-huh. me to see like, like, oh my goodness, I'm using all of this and I'm actually making more money than I did and I'm working less time and I'm mm-hmm. not endangering myself um, by having to go out in like dangerous neighborhoods because I was that social worker. I, I worked in the trenches. Um, yeah. And then I think with higher ed, higher ed was really, for when I took that break, the, some of the reasons that I took it was really kind of heartbreaking for me because I really mm-hmm. thought like, this is where it's going to end. Like I really like teaching Mm-hmm. And so for me, the other Eureka moment came, I would say, like last week. Really? Um, <laughs> I taught a, and I've been teaching classes, but I taught a class on how to write, publish, and sell an ebook. Mm-hmm. And because I have a publishing company and I've, and I've had my company for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, I did it. I had 30 women on and it was supposed to be an hour. It went over two hours because they were asking questions. And so I walked away like, okay, that felt great. And then like the next day, someone said, here's my ebook. Here's the link. Then the next day, someone said, here's my ebook. Here's the (laughs) link. And I was just like, wait a minute. Like y'all actually listen to me. (laughs) 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 And now I have like out of the 30 women, at least 10 have published a book in less than a week because we did the class on Saturday. Uh Oh, wow. That was just like. Like that was that moment, like when you have with your students and you like, oh, they got it. Like yeah. <laughs> in a classroom, you're all excited. That was me like this week. Like, wait, they listen. They got it. And then <laughs> they were like, and people are buying it. And I was like, oh, wait, they're making money. Like, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, uh, my second eureka moment just happens. <laughs> wow. So they must have been sitting on these books and just been like not sure what to do with them, right? I mean, a, a lot of them had, and, and when I explained to them that usually it's information that you already have, mm-hmm. and you know, and I talked about how to pull information together. And so I had some of the women because we were in a meeting on Zoom, and so you saw their faces like, "Well, yeah, like I do." So, but I still wasn't thinking like they're going to. It's going to happen this. Quickly, I was thinking maybe in two weeks. No. So it was just like, like wait a minute, and they were like, "You were right. I had the information. I just had to go. I didn't know how to format it." And so they uh-huh. did the stuff that I told them to do. But then they were like, "And people are buying it. And they're saying that it's good." <laughs> like, <laughs> that made me feel great. Like that really made me feel great. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, so what got you? involved or like interested in doing social work from the beginning oh okay so i was supposed to go to law school (laughs) (laughs) i think i think a lot of a lot of people listening to this are probably in that i was going to go to law school and then somehow accidentally wound up in academia i mean that was my story too like i i took the lsat and was ready to go and then i thought maybe i should get a master's in criminology just to like boost myself into law school yes. and then here i am that was exactly what i'm thinking <laughs> exact yep. same thinking i I was like okay well they say if you just have a bachelor's degree like that kind of decreases your chances mm-hmm. so they say you need to get a master's so yep. i said what's a good master's program that's not gonna last long and Tulane, <laughs> really I, this is my thinking Tulane, had a their social work program in 16 months uh-huh. and i was like oh great and, and when i was doing my intern in undergrad i was actually working under social workers so my undergrad is in psychology it's mm-hmm. not even in social work so the social workers are telling me about the program at tulane they wrote my letter got me in for an interview oh wow she don't know what i was doing okay it's <laughs> go and I'm just like yeah after this I'm going to get like you know going to law school somewhere down the road I burned out and I yeah. said you know what I'm getting a job I'm getting a job after this <laughs> like law school is not going to happen right now and yeah. then I just never I never went back I never went back to law school instead mm-hmm. I ended up getting a PhD so <laughs> <laughs> So your burnout didn't last forever. <laughs> no, it actually, I got my, I finished with Tulane in 1992, so I'm telling my age, and I went back and got my PhD in 2015 was when I graduated. Okay. 
So, yeah, and then the PhD is in higher education, leadership, and research. So, none of my degrees are like... (laughs) Nothing matches. Nothing matches. (laughs) But there are kind of like, I I would say, like, my interests, things that I like to do. So, how did you end up in in higher ed and research? Oh, now that's an interesting story, too. (laughs) I hope hope so. (laughs) I hope it is. I, I was comfortable with my master's in social work at mm-hmm. this point. I had had it. I would say like at this point, I've been a social worker for maybe like 17, 18 years. Um, and was speaking at different conferences and doing trainings. And so at one conference that I was at, um, um, the National Association of Social Workers, their state conference in Louisiana. And mm-hmm. um, after I was, we were taking a break. And when we took the break, the, um, the chair of the social work department at Southern in Baton Rouge, she comes up and she says, hi, do you know who I am? And I said, yeah. And so she <laughs> said, do you teach classes like the way you just presented this workshop? And mm-hmm. I said, well, I don't know. I've never, I never taught a class. <laughs> <laughs> said, okay. So I just, and I had an assistant. And so we kind of looked she was like, what was that about? I said, I have no idea. So, <laughs> so I <laughs> continued doing a workshop. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of months later, she called mm-hmm. and she said, can you teach classes the way that you taught that workshop? Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, anything is possible. So like, <laughs> you need me to come in and do a presentation. And so she said, no, not really. I need you to come in and be a professor. And yeah. I was just like, you know, don't people usually send in a resume? And <laughs> she was like, yeah, we'll get to all of that later. I'm shorthanded. And so basically, <laughs> she was like, what classes you want to teach? I was like, what do you have? She sent uh-huh. me a list of all these classes and I remember I called her back and I said did your department quit because this is every class <laughs> in the social department and she said no the university have forced all of the, the older professors to retire because they were um, having some like financial constraints yeah. at the university so I was like okay let me think about this like I you know that wasn't the direction my life was going yeah. and so I thought about it and then I called her back and I said are you sure I can pick any class I want to teach and uh-huh. she said yes <laughs> you can pick four <laughs> <laughs> and that was how my career started really um, as a full time professor I had yeah. done adjunct but again adjunct was kind of here's your curriculum here's yeah. the syllabi like everything was laid out and so went in and and so mind you I had gotten hired over the telephone so uh-huh. and I go in for a faculty meeting mm-hmm. and and I'll never forget my dad. I had my, my dad was in the hospital. I had to put my dad in the hospital that morning. So when mm-hmm. I went, I was looking very disheveled. I did not yeah. look like a professor that day. And when I went in, I remember I saw cobwebs and there were like no students. And Southern and Baton Rouge is actually my alma mater. So mm-hmm. and I went there back in the heyday when they had like ten thousand students per uh-huh. semester. And so when I you know, I go in and I said, not only did they let go of your whole department, do you have a department? Like cobwebs <laughs> mean no student activity, like yeah. no humans are walking by. So, <laughs> she said, no, we had like 50 students. And I said, you ever heard of a strategic 
plan. Like, you need a business. <laughs> and so she just looked at me and she was like, what is all of that? And I said, oh, God, what have I got myself into? It's <laughs> 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 so behind the scenes, I taught classes during the day. And behind the scenes, I actually was showing her, like, basically how to run a business and trying to explain to her that her department was a business. Uh-huh. And so if she didn't increase her customers, which were her students, she's going to get shut down. Yeah. And pretty much I came in in August in December, they got a letter saying you have like, you know, so many months to increase your enrollment or we're going to close your department. And so from there really start, you know, got into this whole higher ed leadership and looking at how higher ed really works and having to explain it to people who only saw black and white. Yeah. They only saw like research. And yeah. so it's just like a, a business plan. What's that? Why I need that? Why I need a marketing strategy? And it's just like, cause you, they're about to show, you're not about to have a job. That's why. So, <laughs> and we increased enrollment by 26% and the retention, because they were also losing students, we increased re- retention by 109% within wow. one year. Wow. And so that was where it was just kind of like, oh, I kind of like this, you know? Yeah. And so how do you get, how, how do you get your position? How do you get to be a, a chair? <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> running this behind the scenes as a little professor like how do I get move on up the food chain at this point (laughs) it was like well you you won't move up the food chain because you don't have a PhD Mm -hmm. I was just like oh wait y'all play like that so I I went back to my Tulane thinking well what's a PhD program I can go in and knock this out real quick And so, uh, yeah, and so that's what that's what happened. So I went to Louisiana State University, mm-hmm. and I received my PhD in three years. And oh so there was nothing gosh. quick about it. I actually I took a heavy load. Um, like my research was actually what I was doing in my department. So I had yeah. the data. Uh, you know, I have to support it with, with articles and because I'm still, you know, people just, they don't understand the marketing plans. I have to go find articles that talk about marketing. So basically, I had like the nuts and bolts of my dissertation and I just had to do the coursework. And so I just took, I took a lot. They allowed me to take more classes than what you normally yeah. do in a PhD program. And I would say that I'm glad that I did that uh, because my dad got a chance to see me graduate because uh-huh. he died like a couple of months later. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you never know why things are happening the way that they are. So that's, yeah, that's my heart is story. So that was not like a, a, a goal. <laughs> <laughs> you just kind of fell into it. Yeah. And, and like, I like the leadership part. Yeah. That's wild. I can't believe you did it in three years. <laughs> that's. Yeah, yeah. And my, 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 um, I had a chair and a co-chair. My co-chair was just like, you know, like hooding you is like, like you are just superwoman. Like, because he would just sit there like. Okay, I'm gonna let you take these classes, but are you sure? And I was like, hey, haven't let you down yet. Like, I might look crazy, but I gotta, I don't have, and I was like, I'm an older <laughs> student, so I don't have the time that the younger students have. Yeah. So while I have energy, let's go ahead and let me knock <laughs> this out while I can. 
So yeah. it was it was a juggling act because I had school. I was still in a department that I was in teaching a full load. So there were days that I looked real crazy. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, my students would be like, hey, did you eat today? And they bring me something to eat because they knew <laughs> I was like it was. I had a but I had a community. I had a tribe of people that yeah. really were helping me to get to that point. So yeah, but don't don't try that, y'all. Like <laughs> Yeah, if no, I had to don't. do it again, no, no. But my dad got to see me graduate. And so that was like mm-hmm. for me, that meant a lot. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm surprised that um like this department chair wasn't aware of the importance of enrollments. <laughs> That's that is really surprising. But I guess there must still be people like that. Yes, and 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 what I later found out was that the person who was the chair before her was one of the people they had forced into retirement. Uh-huh. So she kind of like was just put in this position. It mm. wasn't a position that she was like. Oh, I oh. see. Yeah. And that so, makes a lot more sense. And so, yeah, so the other chair hadn't said, well, this, this is how you run a department. These are mm-hmm. the things that are important. So, and nobody had really taken the time out to show her. She kind of just been thrown into the, and, and I, I figured that out real quick. Yeah. Um, and so she had, she did not have a clue. So I would have to coach her like, okay, we're going to talk to the president. This is what you need to take in. This is what you need to say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who any of these people are, but I'm like, I'm sure they want to know your numbers and this is how you need to present it. And this is where you get it from. Yeah. You basically just came in and took over. (laughs) Basically. And and for me, I I looked at it like I'm helping. Like this is a great department. The students were phenomenal. Um, And we made it just like a family effort. And Mm -hmm. so to and when we got those numbers and they told us that we not only could we stay so they weren't going to shut us down, but then they had to give us more money because we have more students. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and yep. I explained that to her, like, okay, they owe you some money. Go get our money. Like, we, we got more students. And she's just like, well, I was like, you get your money based on first student. You got yeah. more students. Go get our money. So <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it, yeah. it was interesting. <laughs> it sounds like it. Um, so for people who are listening who don't know about, um, like, what leadership in higher education, like, what that looks like academically, could you talk about that a little bit? Oh, wow. Um, if you have it, everything that you know about all that textbook stuff that goes out the window, like when you are doing leadership in higher ed, it really is about business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to think differently. And those who don't think differently, you will be eaten alive. Like they will and they, they'll run over you um, and they'll take advantage of you. And so it really you do have to know about a st- how to do a strategic plan. You do need to know what marketing is. You have to listen to your students and, and let them be a part of that mm-hmm. as well. Um, and sometimes it means you got you have to drop your pride. Like if you don't know, you have to get out there and and get a mentor, even mm-hmm. in, in leadership. And I, that's what I kind of saw as like in this particular situation, those who had been in leadership positions and they sent them home because they were older um, and they never trained anyone. So they were never grooming the next leader. Yeah. Um, and then that's when I found out from one of my mentors was that 
you know, power isn't given, power is taken. Um, and so they didn't go and take their power. They, mm-hmm. you know, they just kind of inherited these positions. And so it's going to be taken from them if they don't figure it out real quick. So it is real. It's cutthroat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the least. Um, and you, you do a lot of arguing, fighting. You, you have you have to have your data. You have to know your rights. And you have to know what is due, what is due for you. So like this, this particular chair didn't realize that you get a certain dollar amount per student. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we have raised enrollment and I'm just like, well, wait, what you mean? We don't have a copy paper, but we don't have it in the book. We done doubled enrollment. We've tripled enrollment. They owe us some money. Go get our money. <laughs> <laughs> And I had to go find the information to say, this is how much you get per student. If this is how much they owe you, go get our money. You know, yeah. <laughs> we did our part. Uh, but if not knowing, you don't ask. And they're not just going to say, oh, hey, you know, we owe you some money. Here's a check. Yeah. Like, no. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> it, it, so you have to you have to have your your finger on the pulse. You mm-hmm. have to know what's going on at all times. That means you got to sit in boring meetings. Um, and I, I mean, I was sitting in the back because I wasn't supposed I was not supposed to be in these meetings. I was a professor. I was not in leadership at the university uh-huh. in order to explain it to the person that I work for. I had to sit in the meetings because she couldn't come back and explain it to me. Uh-huh. So I was sitting in the back and uh, it was funny because one chair was just like, you know, are you in leadership? And I just like shook my head. No, like lower your voice. I'm not supposed to be in here. And so she said, well, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm, I'm observing. And so she said, oh, <laughs> your chair doesn't know what she's doing and you're running it. <laughs> I was like, whatever. Because <laughs> I was taking notes. Yeah. And I was asking questions and the other chairs were just kind of looking like, we're doing lesson plans and what do you, why are you asking all these questions? And so I really was trying to understand uh-huh. because I had to go back and prep somebody yeah. for when you go into this meeting, this is what they're looking for. Here's the information. And so, yeah, I sat in a lot of meetings in the back of the room where uh-huh. I wasn't supposed to be. So you're like <laughs> so the I shadow kind of, chair. I was baptized by fire. <laughs> <laughs> you're like the shadow chair. Essentially, yeah, I was the person in the background. And I would say when I left, like, so when I left the university, um, our um, chancellor, we had actually developed a, a, a relationship and he he knew what I was doing. And so and I didn't think he did. And so one day it was graduation and we have graduation this big old dump dome, like the super dome, but we call mm-hmm. it the mini dome. And mm-hmm. it has these little side rooms. And so I kept hearing somebody calling my name. And so it's just like, I know I hear my name, but it's like a million people in yeah. here. And so finally somebody snatched me and it was a chancellor. And he said, you know, I've never gotten a chance to say this to you, but I want you to know that I do know that it's you that's doing everything and that you <laughs> prep her before she comes in. Like... <laughs> And I just, you know, just like, what do you say? And I was just like, oh, oh, thank, thank you. Like, you know. Yeah. And he was just like, just get your PhD. Like, you're going to make a great leader. So, yeah. <laughs> so that was that was great to, you know, know that you're in the shadows, but somebody really realizes what it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. So, 
So, yeah. So, that's yes. That's not the word. That's a wild, that's an amazing story. <laughs> it's, that's something, exactly. Carrie. <laughs> Um, so yesterday I got to talk to, um, an organizational psychologist named, um, Brooke Gazdag, uh, who does like leadership types of, of research. And we were talking about, um, like everything going on now with the pandemic and just kind of guessing at what like happens moving forward. And so I, since you have this higher ed leadership background, I'm really curious about like, how do you see, um, higher ed coming out of this? Like what is what is the best thing for leaders in higher ed to do to not just like keep the ship afloat? Sorry, my kids are upstairs uh, <laughs> yeah. yelling and, and okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, online kindergarten has been a struggle for the last couple of days. Um, <laughs> Look, I can't, I totally understand. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, Brooke and I were talking about like what, like how do how do universities come through this and like what does good leadership even look like dealing with this this pandemic now and I'm just I'm curious to to I know this is like a giant question to spring on you and I apologize for that but it it seems like this is right in your wheelhouse to kind of actually I've had we I've had this conversation I had part of this conversation last night during one of the groups that I do with the because I have some women in higher ed who mm-hmm. I work with as well. Um, and we kind of talked about leadership. One of the things that I am seeing, and I'm I'm more so hearing than seeing, um, is that some leaders are not prepared to have the uncomfortable conversations. Mm-hmm. And those uncomfortable conversations are that you have some dinosaur professors who did not, who refused to be trained or certified in online learning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They flat out refused. I worked with them. Okay. Like that was part of my, I guess, being hazed as coming in as a professor is just like, oh, they want us to do like this online. You go, you're the new person. So yeah. I was just like, okay. So I went, learned how to develop a whole class online in Blackboard, um, you know, using, we didn't, they didn't even have Zoom back then. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I came back and said, hey, I got a way we can make some money. Like we need <laughs> to start offering online classes. And I shut down. Like, mm-hmm. it's just like, no. And I was like, this is cutting edge. Like we will be one of the few departments in the U.S. offering this online. No, they refused. They wouldn't mm-hmm. go to the training. So I'm in this department. I'm the only person who knows how to do online training, uh, teach online classes. Mm-hmm. But when I go to the next university, it's kind of the same story. Mm-hmm. Like people, the professors who have been there a while, just flat out refused. Or they would take it, but really was like, I'm not doing that, and refused to teach the online classes. So that would, that what I saw was that that would always be, we're going to pass it off to the new professors mm-hmm. as a way to punish you. We're sitting there like, honey, you are not punishing me if I get to sit at home and teach these classes. I'm in heaven. And so what I've seen, well, what I've heard is that students are complaining because some professors don't know how to use Zoom. Mm-hmm. They didn't know how. It wasn't a smooth transition. Nope. And students are your customers. And so you have customers that are complaining that mm-hmm. I didn't pay for this. I didn't pay. She can go in a classroom and mess up. And she hit that well. Online, she can't hide it anymore. <laughs> um, and so I think 
your leaders are going to start, they have to start having those hard conversations of some people are not going to make it. Mm -hmm. Like when they, when they, the smoke clears with the pandemic, some people are in higher ed will not have jobs. Uh, I see that happening. Um, I also see higher ed embracing online learning a lot more than they did before. Mm -hmm. So, and that can be a good thing because you can generate more revenue um, because you can teach students no matter where they live. Mm-hmm. And and I say that I'm a HBCU advocate. And mm-hmm. with HBCUs, you have students who might not finish and then they go on to, you know, they get jobs, they have families, but they still want to get that degree from where they started. And it might be that it was a family tradition. And when you offer the online classes, you still allow them that opportunity to earn their degree, work around their schedule. But for them, most of all, is that I still receive my degree from where everyone else in my family got their degree to. Um, and so I see leaders looking, taking a different look at online learning. Um, and I, I think we're going to see more online learning taking place in the future. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like I said, I think it can be a benefit, especially for those colleges that are struggling. Because honestly, I think now they're starting to see that you don't need the expensive platforms in the beginning. And you can work your way up to those online learning platforms. And then others have had the platforms and wasn't even using the platform. So, you know, a lot of people have had and didn't realize all the stuff that you can do with Blackboard when it comes to online learning. Mm-hmm. So I think this is going to be a learning curve for a lot of people. But if they look at it from a financial point of view, they can really generate some income from this mm-hmm. if they go in and do it right. That's what I'm saying. But I see some people not making it because they just they didn't embrace online, you know, in the past. And, and now it's kind of like mm-hmm. it's too late because your your professors that you haze, it's like we got it and we're rolling with it. And mm-hmm. like <laughs> we know how to integrate <laughs> all kind of stuff in an online class, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So I, I see that's what I'm seeing take place is that there are going to be some difficult conversations. And some people, when, when they do those professional um, reviews or professional plan that they do for you every year. Yeah, some people are not gonna make it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so, what I'm saying. So, what really. do you think about like student? What do you think about student dissatisfaction with, um, like the transition to online stuff? Do you think that goes away just as faculty get more training, or as people who are faculty who are bad at the online classes are maybe pushed into retirement or something else? Um, takes them away from that like how do how does how does that resolve itself well i think what's going to happen is what happens even when the students are on campus like Mm -hmm. you start to talk and say okay who did you take for this class and how did they do online Mm -hmm. like you know students have conversations and they know which professors to take and which ones not to take and so i think we're going to see that taking place Mm -hmm. The the opposite of that is that those professors who have been our gatekeepers um, in departments, and everybody knows what gatekeeper is, that's that person who teaches that one class that everybody has to take, and they weed people out. Um, And usually this is a self-appointed position that nobody made them the gatekeeper. I've worked with enough of them. (laughs) 
students would just sit there like, Lord Jesus. Like, you know, I had these students crying in my office. But I also see those gatekeepers were probably your professors who would not teach stuff online. Mm-hmm. So I see I see that shifting. And, and I say that because I just did. Uh, I, I do teach part time mm-hmm. and I sat in a faculty meeting recently. And so we were just kind of talking about what the students are going through and how we as professors can help them through this. Mm-hmm. And, and, and mind you, y'all, this is a total on the whole. My program is totally 100 percent online. So everybody teaches online. And I realized that some of my some of my coworkers, like I'm like. Y'all still don't know what you're doing, and you're in a whole online. <laughs> you know, and you start listening to people, and I'm just like, oh god, poor kids. Uh, and but there was one that she had appointed herself as the gatekeeper, and she said, you know, I feel that they're turning in subpar work. I feel that they are using the pandemic as an excuse that you know unemployment, kids at home. I I didn't have my camera on, so she couldn't see the sheer look of horror on my face. Like, what in the like? Yep. Have you read your virtual room? (laughs) And so, and her thing was, I want to know how do I hold them accountable? And and our chair like turned beet red, and he didn't say anything. Mm -hmm. You know, he just said, I think we just have to understand what they're going through. And she said, well, okay, well, I'm just letting you know that a couple of people are going to be failing my class. And I was, you know, sitting there, and I was just like, girl, girlfriend, now is at the time to be the gatekeeper. Like, this ain't it, you know. Uh And, but I see... And I and I saw it in in the in our chair's eyes that he's going to have to have that 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 difficult conversation with her, uh, mm-hmm. and and that's sad. And so I don't know. I have some people who are just feeling like students are making excuses, and they really aren't. Like yeah. you know, but I have students to tell me I teach online, but I, every week I send an email out and say, "How are you doing?" How is your family? How is work? I don't want to hear about academics. How are you doing as a person? Mm-hmm. And one of my students emailed me back. And this is how I started to get a post of what was going on when he said, my best friend just died of COVID-19, Dr. Yazid. I don't know what to do. You know, and he was just like, I can't do your work right now. And I said, well, my work is not important. Like, <laughs> you know, let's let's kind of, how are you feeling? Who's mm-hmm. your support system? And so when he finished the class, like hey, everybody had an extension. It was mm-hmm. just because we this was in the middle of every everything is shutting down. And mm-hmm. I was just like, as long as y'all can get everything in by the end of this course, we good. Like yeah. I just won't grade until the end. Mm-hmm. And he and he emailed me back at the end of the course and he said, You were the only professor who cared about us as individuals. Yeah. Like you you checked on us the person mm-hmm. and you worked with us and he said and because of that I still gave you a hundred percent because you did stuff that that he said none of my other professors did like nobody checked on me except you and he said and I look forward to your your emails because they were always encouraging and you weren't talking about class like you were talking <laughs> about life and you know these are some different resources check on this that like I just reached out to them as human beings and so yeah. I see when we talk about leadership that and those students being disgruntled, that those are some of the things that students are going to be putting in their evaluations mm-hmm. because 
again, we evaluate it after each class. Yeah. Yeah. Like it doesn't pandemic or not, you still them students gonna evaluate you. you mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think you have to remember that they are human. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, and so I can see the students being disgruntled um when you you're hounding me about work, but I'm a CNA and I'm working on the front lines and I haven't been asleep in forty eight hours. Yeah. That was the story of one of my students. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's it's real out there. Yeah, I think a lot about, like, even before this happened, I think a lot about the ways that higher ed, like, replicates systems of oppression and, like, can serve as, even though, like, on the surface, everybody thinks that colleges are, like, super liberal, um, whatever, and it's it's really not. (laughs) Like, I think people would be astonished to hear how, like, really conservative most universities are. And I think that everything going on with the pandemic has really laid that out and like made it very like visible to people, especially like the students, right? Like your institutions don't necessarily care about you. (laughs) You have professors who don't really see you as anything more than just like your student ID number. Um, Exactly. And like all that gatekeeping stuff feels to me like it's being ramped up like times like a thousand because students or professors who wanted who were already probably discriminating against students of color or female students in their classes or whomever probably uh-huh. now have like the green feel like they have the green light to do that even more yeah. so because like I don't I don't care I'm being I'm being Dr. Hardass <laughs> which is really not exactly. Exactly. the the right play like the students are going to remember how they're treated during this Right. And, and, and at the end of the day, it might not be the professors who have to think in this way, but as leaders and leadership, you have to remember that those students are customers mm-hmm. and they and just like you want good customer service from Amazon, from your cell phone company, they want good customer service from their university. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm telling you I need an extension because I am the housekeeper and these people Mm -hmm. haven't let me off in the hospital and I'm working with a trash bag on like Mm -hmm. if you ask, they will tell. And when when my students started telling me those stories, I was just like, oh, hey, baby, this is how we going to do this. When y'all get the work in, just get it in. Professor Yazzie's go, I'm all graded. Don't stress. You, It's going to be OK. Mm-hmm. And then how are you doing? Mm-hmm. How what do you need from me at this point? I need an extension. You got an extension. You got that. What else you need? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm saying this is how the system works. You you need to participate. So go in there and answer a discussion question and it shows you participated for the week. Like, yep. I'm like let me help you get through this. Yeah. And then, you know, with some of my students, I was just like, you know, y'all might just want to take a break. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Take sit out for a minute and just get yourself back together before you come back in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't see I don't. And I think leaders and those in leadership and higher ed, those conversations with professors need to take place that they these students are customers. That they're not an ID number. They are customers. And when we don't provide good customer service, they can take their their appeal grants, their student loans, mm-hmm. and what they pay out of pocket and go to another university. Mm-hmm. They can leave you. 
Um, just like we might say, I'm not going to go shop at that grocery store. I'm going to go to this other grocery store because I didn't like the way they treated me. Same goes for higher ed. But I do see it ramping up. And I'm seeing it also ramp up, not just with the students, but with some of your workers um, who who not, might not necessarily be like professors, but mm-hmm. working like career services and yeah. admissions. Like they're saying they're getting busy work. Like... Um, one of my clients who she has a business on the side and she works at a university in career um, career services. And she was like, she has, and she has a homeschool. So mm-hmm. she has her kids at home. Her husband is a, a social worker. He's an essential worker. So he can't be home with her. Mm-hmm. And she was like, her supervisor sent her email and said, okay, we having a pop-up meeting in 10 minutes. And she's in the middle of, doing homeschooling on Zoom with Mm -hmm. her kid. And she was like, you know, nobody's understanding. And I said, okay, it's like a documented conversation virtually. (laughs) Like, you need to start documenting this um, because I'm like, girl, you can't have pop up me. And I said, I see your kids. Like, I see them splashing across the screen (laughs) with your coaching session. (laughs) And I was like, you in a pop-up meeting and you only have five or ten minutes to prepare. I was like, she doesn't hear your kids in the background? She's like, well, no, like, I'll put them in another room. And I was like, your kids get open the door. Like, that is not working. (laughs) (laughs) And so I just told her, I said, you need to have a conversation with her. And so she said, y'all forgive me. She said she's not going to understand. And I said, you know, that day, make sure you give your kids a lot of sugar that morning. And see if your husband can be home to help you once the meeting is over with. And I said, girl, just let the kids run loose in the background while you're having a meeting. And I said, as you try and explain, you do what you do in our coaching class. Stop. Don't do that. Put that down. Okay, you want to say hi? Come on in and say hi real quick. <laughs> and I said, and then just be like, you know, and like I was saying, like, I can't do the pop-up meetings. <laughs> and I said, because she might need a visual of what's going yeah. on with your kids. <laughs> Yeah. And so she laughed. It, uh, the other group members were like, yeah, you're laughing, but that's really a good idea. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I don't think people are understanding that, you know, they're not on campus and their kids are not in daycare. Their kids are not in school. They're at home. Mm-hmm. And, at, and, and so parents are having to work, be parents. Be teachers because they're having a homeschool. Be wives, be husbands, partners. They're having to do all these different roles. And so you got to have some kind of balance. And as a leader, that's where it becomes your responsibility to at least have structure in your department, even if things are online. Mm-hmm. So pop up meetings are no, not good. <laughs> <laughs> in case nobody needs mm. Yeah. These parents sure. need some time. Yeah. No. I uh, appreciate hearing hearing all of that for sure. Um, so uh, we're going to start wrapping up, but I want to hear about the classes that you teach. Um, so, okay, so at the on a university level, I teach right now. I teach psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past, I have taught a lot of research classes. I love research. Most professors, that's not their thing. I love research. Um, I love collecting data. So mm-hmm. I guess I'm a geek. And um, I taught, 
you know, I taught in social work departments. So I've taught pretty much any class you can think of. I've taught direct practice, intro to social work, forensic social work. So I was a forensic social worker mm-hmm. in the, back in the day. And, um, you know, play therapy. But I think the, the my two fun classes were research because all the students came in hating it and then they mm-hmm. would leave loving it. And then I showed them how to leverage it for their jobs when they went yeah. out into the workforce. And um, social entrepreneurship um, and teaching them how to start businesses once they graduate Mm -hmm. from college. Those were like the classes that I like. But right now, I mean, I don't know why, but they have me in the psychology department and I (laughs) and I teach psychology classes. And I'm loving it. I love the students. Mm -hmm. And um, and then in my own business, I um, I I really classes, I kind of slowed down on those. So like just recently, this was the first class I've offered in a long time was how to uh, write, how to write, publish and sell an ebook. But I've also offered classes on like how to start a business and how to how to start an online course for your business. So thank you to that university that hates me. (laughs) (laughs) It got me certified as an online teacher. (laughs) Making it Thank work for you. you. Like, yeah, so I, 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 that's a class that I really enjoy teaching, too, is, is showing up other professionals how to set up online courses for their business. So I, I imagine that there are people listening to this who want me, to, would be upset with me if I didn't ask you this. Uh, how do you make teaching research, how, like, how do you make your research methods class fun? Oh, so... Okay. The way you make it fun is, and I start off in the beginning. So this is how my first day of class starts off. And I tell all of my students right now, I believe in you more than you believe in yourself. By the time you finish this course, you're going to believe in yourself just as much as I believe in you or more. Mm -hmm. And I said, so right now I know that you have called me a couple of choice words in your head because you have to take this class. And And that is perfectly okay. You will continue to call me those names throughout this class. And at the end, I am going to be your best friend. So we start off that way. So they're usually just looking like, oh my God, like who do we have? You know, uh-huh. and then their first assignment is they have to go home and they have to prepare a dish using a recipe. Mm-hmm. And then they have to bring the dish to class and they have to explain to the class how they prepare the dish. Mm-hmm. And so after they all do that, they as and they're eating their potluck. So we uh-huh. have like a little potluck and I say, so you all just did research. Uh-huh. And you explain to those who didn't know how to fix the dish how they can go back and replicate your study. Because mm-hmm. you fixing that dish that we sitting here eating that we don't know how it's going to taste, that's a study. <laughs> and, so, it, it, and so I make it, no, I, I bring it into their real worlds. And that's the mm-hmm. icebreaker because they're eating and they're just like, why she have us cooking for research? Like that's the mumbling that you hear. Like, yeah. Oh, they're like, look, just do it. You know, she's crazy. You know, so, <laughs> and they come in with their dishes and they're standing there. They're doing a presentation or and they're trying to figure out why are we talking about food in a research class? And so then I just at the end, that's how I wrap it up. I'm like, you just did research. And that was that was a, re- a research project that you did from beginning to end. And you also explained your results so that if one of us wanted to go back and duplicate it, we could. And from there, I have their attention mm-hmm. because the rest of the class is pretty much the same way, too. Yeah, that's a really 
I mean, I've I've used the the recipe example before, but I've never gone like all the way to the logical conclusion and had them <laughs> bring food oh, in. Yeah. Oh no, you got to present yeah. and and everybody has to try the dish. <laughs> and so we really we and so they start to get into it and they realize like this is life. And so when we talk about surveys, uh-huh. I usually pull surveys like from online. Um and or I have them participate in surveys and then some of them get paid. And so then they really like mm-hmm. that. Like, wait, I just made twenty dollars <laughs> and sitting in my research class. Yeah. So just taking 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 it and breaking it down to simplest form mm-hmm. to where it doesn't matter who they are, they understand research. Cause that mm-hmm. is for me as a professor, I don't care if you have a learning disability. I'm going to work around whatever it is that you have. But when you finish my class, you are going to be on the same level as everyone else, because that's my responsibility as a professor. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I remember, like, when I was first introduced to that philosophy of teaching, Mm -hmm. just like, what, what segment of the class are you teaching to, you know? And so I always try to teach to the highest level of students in there. And just, I mean, cause I mean, lots of people I think probably teach to the lower, the middle end. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know that that's necessarily productive. So like trying to get everybody as advanced as possible, obviously should be our goal. And I don't, I don't understand why people have kind of given up on that. That's, yeah. That's no. And, and if you've ever, I taught, Okay, social works, again, people don't know what we do. So I was a school social <laughs> worker and ended up teaching a special ed class. Don't ask me how. And so realizing that students have different learning mm-hmm. needs and that students learn different. And so mm-hmm. you never know what ex- what one experience is preparing you for. And when I went into the college classroom, I remember what I saw in that high school special ed classroom. Mm -hmm. And so it also helped me to identify when I had students who were struggling Mm -hmm. and hadn't went to the disabilities office um, because they didn't want to be labeled Mm -hmm. and me pulling them to the side and saying, okay, what's your learning disability? And they just kind of looking at me and I was like, I just read this. Like you, what, what is your learning disability? Have you went to the disability office? This is how it's going to help you. Nobody's going to know, but this is how it protects you. But also realizing that some of my students weren't readers. Mm-hmm. Let me find a video or let me lecture and mm-hmm. go through and break this down totally. And I will say when I have gotten my evaluations back as a professor, that has been one of the things that students really appreciate is because they would say she could identify how I learned and never have a conversation with me about that. But she made sure that she introduced different stuff into the curriculum where no matter where I was, I never felt like I wasn't smart or I didn't know anything like you know, I, I still made it where those students mm-hmm. could could grasp those concepts. And because I'd always been a business owner, I always talked about how do you take these skills and apply them in the real world? Mm-hmm. Because, in, you know, some college students think, why am I taking this? I'm never going to use this when I graduate. I'm like, yes, you are. Let me tell you how you're going to use it. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how you can get a raise. This is how you can get an advancement in your job because you know how to do X, Y, and Z. So, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, and so I won't say I teach to a lower level or a higher level. It's just like, okay, that one needs visual. That one is a reader. That yeah. one needs auditory. Like, and saying, looking at my curriculum and saying, how am I going to put this together this semester so that they all walk away with the kids last semester guy? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so you can't be that cookie cutter professor. Yeah, and I think <laughs> that's, that's my I think that speaks to the gatekeeping thing that you were talking about too, right? Because you know, yeah. like you said, if if I have a, a chunk of like 10 students in my class who aren't readers, then if I'm like a professor who has that gatekeeper kind of philosophy, I'm going to think, well, these kids are just not going to, like, they don't have any potential. Um, they're, they're not going to succeed. But really, if like we're trying to do our jobs well, we should, number one, try to find some other way to get them excited about learning. And then number two, like realize that once we have them excited about learning, then they'll become readers. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, and if they even if they don't become readers, they might be great note takers. Yeah, where they they will listen to everything that you say. They're writing it down, or if they're auditory, yeah. they'll ask, "Can I take?" You? Now, some of them don't ask. Some of them just hit record on their phone and mm-hmm. you know record you. My thing is whatever it takes for you to get it. Yeah, um, I'm there. But in speaking to the gatekeepers who are the readers, I have encountered a gatekeeper at a university that I worked at. And when the students would show me like some of the assignments, I said, I got a Ph.D. Like, no way in hell I pass her class. Like, (laughs) like, you're bachelor's level. And if I'm saying this stuff looks like just it's not going to get done then I don't I don't see how she's expecting someone on a bachelor's level like, you know, her standards were wasn't even on their academic level. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, you know, that was one of those gatekeepers that we would talk to. And she would remind us, like, I'm tenured and there's nothing you can do. Yeah. And I was just like, OK, you know, I wasn't tenured. So <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to tell you anything. But, you know, I mean. And you and I and I don't and I think people just have and honestly I think gatekeepers have some underlying issues, unresolved issues that happen to them in academics mm-hmm. that uh, when they were students that they never dealt with and they take it out on other they take it out on students that they teach. Oh. That's, that's my whole theory. About oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> like that the hazing thing is just like intergenerational <laughs> trauma yeah. just in a professional setting. You know. And, and, and just to know, like, you know, if we have any students listening, like the other professors, we know that they're gatekeepers and we've tried to talk to them. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've tried. <laughs> yeah. It's a good, it's a good lesson in how like change can't happen quickly. I guess. Yeah. No, 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 no. Like, you know, like people tell you on the internet, you can make, you know, six figures in one day, but we know that's not going to happen. And changing the gatekeepers going to take us a little while, but yep. it's, you know, just know that they, you know, I know that in the settings that I've worked in, there have been the professors who said like, you know, that's really unrealistic of what you're asking of those students. We have said, we said because if you're the gatekeeper and half your class fails your class, that's students that we lose in a department. Mm-hmm. And so, and gatekeepers don't care, so because <laughs> they're tenured and they're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. That's usually their whole. The ones that I've worked with, that's been their ideology. So, yeah. This has been an interesting conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I try to, yeah, I try to keep things 
I like to have things develop organically. So now I'm trying to think of a I'm trying to think of a positive thing that we can end the show on because I don't want to I don't want to go out just saying like there are people who are terrible. <laughs> no, but there are some great, you know. In all of my experience in higher ed, I've had those professors that were gatekeepers, but I would say the majority of the professors that I have taken myself as a student and that I have worked with have been wonderful people. Um, You know, we don't make a lot of money, so you really, professors love what they do. Mm -hmm. Um, At the end of the day, they're they're there because they want to help that future generation. And so I've had some great professors, some great co-workers, colleagues, you know, and I just think there's some changes that we need to make in higher ed, but it's, it's not it's not all bad. It's actually more good than, than bad. It's just the bad kind of is what hits the media. Like. <laughs> yep. But, but yeah. we're really good people and we have big hearts. We are, and we do. And that's a a very good way to wrap it up today. So thank you so much, Carrie, for coming on. Well, thank you so much for having me, Andrew. Hey, Andy Wilzak again. So I hope you enjoyed this week's show as much as we enjoyed putting it together. If you did, we would really appreciate it if you left us positive reviews, five-star ratings on iTunes and all of the other podcast places that you can do this stuff. And more importantly, this show thrives on word of mouth. So we are doing this completely through social media. All of the guests that we've had are people that I found on Twitter. So if you are untenured and you are in any kind of academic discipline or you have an advanced degree and are working out in the field and you want an opportunity to come on the show and hype your stuff, please reach out. You can follow us on Twitter at Untenure Tracks or me at Hey Dr. Will. That's H-E-Y-D-R-W-I-L. Please send me a message on one or both accounts and we will book you on the show. It doesn't matter what your discipline is. I know that a lot of our previous interviews have been sociology and criminology based because that's my background, but I am open to anybody. So again, please rate and review the show. Tell your friends, tell your people about this, and I'll see you next week. Bye.